Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. As I mentioned many times on the website, I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey. Now, I am not knocking New Jersey. It's a great place to grow up. But if you're a young kid and you don't have a car, there's really not that much to do on a Saturday morning. That's why at an early age, I became a huge fan of Saturday morning cartoons. Like, I'm saying something unusual. I think every kid who grew up in the 70s, 80s, maybe even the 60s is a huge fan of Saturday morning cartoons. As members of my family will attest, though, my obsession bordered on mania. I would set my alarm. I was... 10 years old setting my alarm to get up at 5.45 on a Saturday morning. I would rush downstairs just so I can claim the television, just to make sure my sisters didn't jump in and try to watch it. Now at 6am, there wasn't a heck of a lot of stuff on. There'd be King Leonardo and the Bullwinkle, which I loved, but those weren't the cartoons everybody would be talking about Monday morning. The real good cartoons didn't start until around 8 o'clock. That was the prime time for Saturday morning cartoons. That's where you'd find your Smurfs and your Alvin and the Chipmunks. You know, the cartoons that had toy tie-ins. I guess the marketing people had determined that that was the sweet spot for advertising, and they put the shows with the, the greatest amount of product tie-in potential. Now, the 80s were a weird time because you had the Smurfs and you had all these toy-centric shows. Then something weird started happening. The video games that I spent every waking minute playing started to show up in different areas of pop culture. They were playing songs about them on the radio. Characters in TVs and movies were playing them. I even remember an interview with Sammy Davis Jr. where he was obsessing over video games, how it was injuring his thumb, and my mother calling me in to be like, look, even Sammy Davis Jr. plays video games. I'm not sure how I should have reacted to that. I mean, I was young, but even I was aware of the Rat Pack. But even though I loved Sammy in Cannonball Run, I still kind of thought, it's not cool that a member of the Rat Pack is playing video games. Maybe it was the proto-geek in me, but I kept thinking in my little brain, that's wrong. These guys shouldn't be playing video games. I mean, they have Las Vegas and music and all this stuff. They should leave video games alone. This was something new. This was something for us. Their stuff was in the past, and now video games were taking over. I don't think I knew one kid who wouldn't give their front teeth to have an Atari system. So it's kind of surprising that it took them till 1983 to start co-opting video game characters onto Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, 1983 was the year of the great video game crash. So either these video game characters came late to the party, or maybe their presence actually contributed to the saturation of the video game market and hastened the video game decline. I guess it doesn't really matter if the chicken came before the egg in this case, because either way, we were given one of the greatest shows to be on television in the 1980s. The Saturday Supercade.
The Saturday Supercade ran on CBS for two seasons starting in 1983. It was produced by Ruby Spears Productions, which you might remember from last week, were the producers of uh, Rubik the Amazing Cube. They also produced Thundar the Barbarian. That is a show that is worthy of its own podcast. The Saturday Supercade was a compilation show that had segments based on different video game characters. During Season 1, the show featured Frogger, Donkey Kong, Qbert, Donkey Kong Jr., and Pitbull Harry. Frogger, Donkey Kong, and Donkey Kong Jr. were weekly shows, while Qbert and Pitbull Harry were on every other week. In Season 2, they got rid of Frogger, Donkey Kong Jr., and Pitbull Harry, which I always thought was kind of a shame because I really liked the Frogger segments. They bumped Qbert up to a weekly segment and added Space Ace and Kangaroo. Now, Kangaroo is... I don't know. I guess some people like it as an arcade game. To me, it's in the same class as Popeye. But Space Ace, now that's a solid video game. And a pretty good cartoon. Of course, the most popular segment on the Supercade was probably Donkey Kong. And I would say it was popular despite its wordless intro. Donkey Kong! While watching these cartoons again, one thing I really came to enjoy about them was how they differed so much from what would become established Nintendo canon. Uh, Mario, in these episodes, would be rescuing Pauline, who was his niece, as opposed to the princess. Mario was voiced by the famous voice actor Peter Cullen, who you might know actually as the voice of Optimus Prime in the cartoon and in the new movies that have come out. Pauline was voiced by Judy Strangis, and Donkey Kong was voiced by the famous DJ Soupy Sales. The overarching plot of the Donkey Kong series involved Mario owning a circus called the Donkey Kong Circus, along with his niece, Pauline, who was the was the trainer of Donkey Kong. So in the show, Donkey Kong escapes in the first episode, and Mario and Pauline are forced to chase him across the United States and eventually all around the world trying to get him. So it's a reversal from the video game. Donkey Kong is not so much this menacing creature, but instead is a, a wily ape who they need to capture. Donkey Kong Jr. is pretty ingenious in that it takes place right after the moment where Donkey Kong disappears. Jr. has left the jungle to find his great dad, Donkey Kong, but when he gets to the circus he finds that Donkey Kong has escaped, and he's inconsolable. And this young boy named Bones, we find I guess that's his name throughout the whole show, we never find out if he had a different name, finds the monkey who's crying and tries to console him, and the two of them go out looking for Donkey Kong, traveling the world, behind, you could only assume, behind Mario and Pauline, who are looking for Donkey Kong. So it's kind of a show after a show, which is actually a pretty cool concept for a show even nowadays. Just pick any show that's really popular and then have a show that takes place 20 minutes after that show finishes. So if you have a real popular show, what's happening 20 minutes after? There's this other group of people who are finding adventure right after that group of people. I'd watch that. Donkey Kong Jr. was voiced by Frank Welker and the Greaser Bones was voiced by Bart Braverman. I don't have fond memories of Donkey Kong Jr., but I do remember a kid in my school who would constantly shout out Donkey Kong Jr.'s catchphrase, which, if you were paying attention, you will recognize from the show's intro. (laughs) Can you imagine having to put up with that for five days a week for two years? He was the same kid who would run around the school yelling puppy power. 
I'll let you draw your own conclusions as to what kind of kid this was. Okay, it was me. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please remain seated as the boat departs the dock. We are now leaving Donkey Kong Country. Next stop, the jungles of Pitfall. Pitfall Harry was based on the wildly successful Pitfall by Activision for the Atari 2600. Pitfall Harry ran for seven episodes during the first season of the Supercade. As a big fan of the video game for the 2600 and Indiana Jones, I would love to say that Pitfall Harry was a great segment, but it wasn't. It was pretty mediocre as cartoons go. The central plot revolved around Pitfall Harry and his niece Rhonda. Again, with the niece, I don't know what's going on at Ruby Spears, but they have this obsession with the uncle-niece paradigm and also a, a mountain lion named Quickclaw. The three of them would go to exotic locales looking for treasure. The mountain lion Quickclaw would do crazy things in a typical anthropomorphic way. One great thing about the Pitfall Harry show was the voice acting. Pitfall Harry was voiced by the very talented Robert Ridgely. You might know him from Blazing Saddles and High Anxiety. He was also on the cult show Surfside 6. Surfside 6. Surfside 6. Harry's niece was voiced by Noelle North. Quickclaw was voiced by another Mel Brooks alum, Kenneth Mars. You might remember Kenneth was the mad playwright of Springtime for Hitler and the Producers, and he was also the inspector in Young Frankenstein. Sorry, Frankenstein. From the jungles of South America, we blast off in a rocket ship to join Space Ace and his sister Kimberly as they fight the evil alien commander Borf. Battle of forces of the evil Borf, who seeks to conquer Earth with his dreaded Infanto Ray. Now that's good stuff. Space Ace was based off the Don Bluth-produced Laserdisc video game of the same name. Oddly enough, this is one of those rare instances where the graphics in the video game were actually superior to that of the cartoon. The show revolves around Dexter Space Ace. See there, the same character. Dexter, or Space Ace, I guess, as the case may be, was hit by Borf's Infanto Ray, which infantilizes the victim, turning them into a child. So unlike the game where you could decide to turn into Space Ace to help you get through some problems, Dexter did not have control over that and would turn into Space Ace and back into Dexter at the most inopportune moments. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, Dexter had his sister Kimberly following him around. Kimberly has this horrible valley girl accent, which helps really encapsulate the show as an 80s relic. Like, gag me with a rocket ship! Space Ace is next! That valley girl voice was provided by none other than Nancy Cartwright. That's right, Bart Simpson provided the voice of the Valley Girl Kimberly. If the alien commander Borf sounds a little familiar, it's because he was voiced by Arthur Burkhart, who most famously was Destro in the G.I. Joe animated series. It's really kind of weird that they changed the relationship of Space Ace and Kimberly in the show. In the video game, they're boyfriend and girlfriend. I guess they didn't want to add any hint of sexuality to a show that's supposed to be aimed at what we would call tweens today. It's hard to choke that word out. Space Ace ran for 13 episodes and was actually pretty good. A couple of years ago, they showed them on the Cartoon Network, and occasionally you could still see them on Boomerang's Boomer Action Block. From the deepest regions of space, we return to Earth and the swamps of Frogger.
Frogger, the aptly named lead character Frogger, is an ace reporter for the Swamp Gazette. In retrospect, this one kind of took me by surprise. Why would they make him a reporter? I, I just don't understand it. You know, road worker, anything. Car, car driver would make more sense based on the video game, but, you know, the good people at Ruby Spears zigged instead of zagged. And of course the result was cartoon gold. When you Every week, Frogger would get into some sort of misadventure as he searched for another crazy story for the newspaper he worked for. He was joined in these adventures by Shellshock Turtle and Fanny Frog. By the end of every episode, Frogger would always get his story. But throughout the episode, he had to contend with the same things that Frogger in the video game contended with. He'd be trying to duck things that would flatten him. He'd have to watch out from being chomped by alligators. He also had to contend with his harsh boss, Tex, who was sort of the J. Jonah Jameson of the Swamp publication world. Shellshock Turtle was voiced by the great character actor Marvin Kaplan. Fanny Frog was voiced by B.J. Ward, who most famously was Scarlet in G.I. Joe. I was always a big fan of Frogger. Picture me sort of like George in Seinfeld when he finds the Frogger game and is all excited about the high score. Except I never got the high score. I just would obsess over the game and basically clear one level and then die instantly. So I was really bummed when Frogger was cancelled after the first season. I guess I was the only one who preferred Frogger over its B-level replacement, Kangaroo. Well, Frogger, we hardly knew ye. I'd like to leave you with some words of wisdom from Buckner and Garcia's Froggy's Lament. Froggy takes one step at a time. The way that he moves has no reason or rhyme. He hops and he jumps, dodges and ducks, cars and buses, vans and trucks. From the swamps of Frogger, we move along to the Zoo of Kangaroo, where we join Joey, Sydney, and Katie as they battle the meddlesome monkeys of the Monkey Biz Gang. I've never liked Kangaroo. I've always thought the game was very derivative of both Donkey Kong and Popeye. And the cartoon itself was very derivative of Pac-Man. You've got Joey Kangaroo and his mother Katie and Sydney Squirrel, their buddy, who might as well be... Pac-Man, Mrs. Pac-Man, and Baby Pac-Man, chasing after the Monkey Biz Gang, who are four monkeys, just like the four ghosts. Even the names, Bingo, Bango, Bongo, and Fred, very similar to the ghosts of Pac-Man. In every episode of the show, the Monkey Biz Gang would cause trouble. And even though they lived in a zoo with an able-bodied zookeeper, Mr. Smiley, it was always up to Joey, Katie, and Sydney to stop those meddlesome monkeys. While the show may not have been top shelf, the voice acting on the show was. You had David Mendenhall as Joey, you might remember David as the young boy in Sylvester Stallone's Over the Top. When I turn my hat around, I become like a machine. Like a truck. You have the aforementioned Marvin Kaplan playing Sidney Squirrel. And you have Pat Fraley, who was the voice of Ace on G.I. Joe, playing all the voices of the Monkey Biz Gang. So I guess it wasn't all bad. 
final stop, the 50s-inspired world of Qbert. Did you know that the flyers that they would pass out to arcades about Qbert said, Qbert collects quarters in big letters. They weren't lying. I might not have been good at the Qbert arcade game. I pumped quarter after quarter at the low score in my town into this game and never got past level 2. But I absolutely love what Ruby Spears did with the Qbert cartoon. They put Qbert in a very happy days like 1950s setting. And while they introduced new characters, they also kept some of the video game staples intact. They had lots of block hopping, they had the flying discs, they had the swearing bubbles. They even introduced some cool new things that would have been awesome in the video game. They had these things called slippy-doos, where these black balls that Qbert would put in his snout and fire at his enemies. I actually think the video game designers should have talked to the Qbert cartoon producers about the sequel to Qbert. In each episode, Qbert, his girlfriend QT, and his friends Qball, Qval, and Qmongus would have to deal with the uh, bullies of the town, who were all these different serpents, and they were named Coily, Ugg, Viper, and Wrong Way. What's cool is that a lot of these voices were voiced by Frank Megatron Welker. He provided the voices for Q-Ball, Q-Mongus, Coil, Ugg, and Wrong Way. I guess they're right when they say this guy is the god of voice actors. I'm always interested in how creative people come up with ideas, and I watched an episode of Qbert just the other day trying to figure out how did they decide to make this a 1950s world. Here's what I came up with. They were looking at the, the floor as it changed color and thinking, wow, that would make a good dance floor. And then they thought, how about disco? We could set Qbert in a disco, like this massive disco video game. And they could have all sorts of music. It would be like Saturday Night Fever on Saturday mornings. And then somebody said, well, there's a lot of like drugs and all that stuff associated with discos. But we want to keep the dancing. So maybe we'll go back another step to another John Travolta movie and we'll do something like Grease. Boom. Cubert. What do you think of that, Cubert? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Retroist Podcast. For more retro info and fun, drop by Retroist.com. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The Retroist podcast is now available via iTunes, so make sure you drop on by there and subscribe. Surfside 6. Who lives there? Surfside 6. Young bachelors? This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.